who has created all things for our good and for our pleasure and for because you love us. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. God, there are no words, but thank you. English language, it, it just, it fails us. We can't think of anything beyond thankful, God. And we are so thankful for the words that we cannot speak, for the gratitude that we feel in our heart, Lord, right now. We just release it to you. We lift it up to you and we say thank you for your reckless love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain standing with me? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 and 4 through 11 through 13 together. If you've got a blue Bible, it's on page 568, 569. But I'd like us to read this out loud together um, because I think that when we speak the scripture out loud, we're speaking truth to our hearts and we're speaking truth to our next door neighbor. And we want to do that this morning, speak truth to one another. And so as you're getting there in the blue Bibles, 568, 569, or Ephesians chapter 4 in your own paper Bible, I'm going to pray real quick. Father, I thank you for this time of worship, that you did inhabit our praises, that you are present in this place, that you are speaking to our hearts and our minds, that you are touching the deepest parts of our soul this morning, restoring us and healing us. And God, I pray that as you restore and heal us this day, that your word would continue to lead us into all things, into all truth, and that we would discover in you that we are more than this world says that we are, that we are more than just an attender, that we are more than a consumer, that we are more than just a man or a woman, but we are children of God who are called and chosen and set apart and gifted for your work in this world. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so let's read this together. I'm going to actually just read it from up here so I make sure to use these words. So Ephesians 4, and we're going to read 4 through 7 first. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now we're going to read verses 7 here. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we're going to jump to verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we announced that my wife, Heidi, is, uh, came on staff here as co-pastor. And I mean, you know, I, got, I got, a, got a couple of whoops. Let's get a concerted whoop over this. Whoop! Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a new thing, right? We say whoop, whoop. That's what, they're, that's what the kids are doing nowadays, Doug. They're saying whoop, whoop. So let's try a whoop, whoop, okay? Let's all together on the count of three, a whoop, whoop. One. A count of three. That's to, to see how that works. It's not just like you go one, is it one, two, and then we do it? Or is it one, two, three, and then go? It's one, two, three, and then go. Okay, we all together, one, two, three, and then go. Got it? Okay, Janice is like, she is so embarrassed right now because she whooped too early, I think. She's crying. It's okay. Somebody give her a hug. She needs a hug, right? Jan, you're respond. Pay attention. Put your phone away. Okay. So on the count of three, we're going to give a whoop, whoop. One, two, three, then whoop, whoop. Okay. 
So it'd be on four. Okay. One, two, three. Whoop, whoop. Okay, there we go. Now we're all together. Um, At the Collide Conference, one of the speakers said that a quiet church is a dead church. And I'm not sure I totally agree with that because I think you can have spiritual life and still be kind of reserved and quiet. But I do believe that when the Spirit speaks something to your heart, we should speak out about it. And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you to actually speak out a little bit. I got a couple of spots where I'm going to ask you to respond like that. So that was practice. Back to my message. Ready? Here we go. So a couple of weeks ago, we announced that Heidi was coming on staff as co-pastor. There we go. And uh, it's been really awesome. It's kind of been the culmination of years of asking these really two questions. These two questions. What will enable you to use your gifts best? And how, what will enable you to best leverage those gifts for Jesus? How can you use them to build up the people of God? And so in the end, the answer was surprisingly simple. I'm a pastor. So we're like, let's go for this. So now she's empowered and released into ministry. And her first day on the office, first day in the office, first day on the job, was the day after Easter. And I got to whoop, whoop again for that one. I'm, he's like, the Holy Spirit must have touched him on that one. All right. Um, so it's like probably the worst possible day to actually have Heidi start. It was really poor planning on my part because Casey and I, our, our church administrator, um, I, when we say administrator, it basically means she does everything. I mean, pretty much everything. I just come to the office and write a sermon, and she's like done everything else. And that's not quite like that, but she does all kinds of stuff. So Casey and I came into the office on Easter, the day after Easter, which is like the day after the biggest church party of the year. And so we had what I like to consider an Easter hangover, all right? I mean, it's like we did all the things, and I ate all the food, and we cleaned up all the mess, and now we're just exhausted, right? Every bit of energy and life is just sucked right out of us. Now, Heidi was her first day in the office, and guess what she did? She comes into the office like a tornado. You guys ever seen, what was that, the Tasmanian devil? There it is. He's like, Taz. You know, she's like, let's do all the things. And Casey and Eric going, like, But she was so jazzed and so full of life and so excited. And it was like, look out world. Here comes Heidi. She's released into her gifts and her calling. And it's so exciting. She is energized for what God is doing in her and going to do through her. And it's going to build up this church. And that's exactly what I hope is going to happen to each one of you. Could you imagine? There's, it's like it's whoop, whoops this morning. This is awesome. Uh, we primed you or something. Can you imagine what it would be like to have? And, and like, so let's be honest. In, 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 the, in the grand scheme of churches, we are average, about 100 people. But could you imagine what 100 people energized like the Tasmanian devil with the Spirit of God resting in them, the Holy Spirit reviving their gifts, and everybody's spinning around like Tasmanian devils doing all the things for Jesus, what that would do to a city. What that would do to a place like this. Could you imagine what would happen on the WSU campus if we had 20 college students who were so fired up in their gifts that they were out there and they were, they were just sharing Jesus. They were serving and loving and teaching and reaching and, and sending. And just, can you imagine what would happen in our workplaces if each one of you were so fired up by your gift, by what God has given you to use in this world. That has been the goal of this entire series, speaking about gifts. It's been the goal is to stir up the gifts in you, to release you into them so that the church comes alive, so that the church isn't a place of boring sermons and dry worship, so that the church isn't a place that's like, oh, 
that's a nice extra on the weekend. So that the church becomes the place where you are experiencing the presence of God and being released in your gifts, and it becomes so exciting, so passionate, so powerful, that you can't wait for Sunday to come. When was the last time you experienced that? I can't wait for Sunday to get here. I, oh God, she's like, <laughs> Kelly, I got one hand. She's like, yesterday. <laughs> it was a bad day. No, that's not true. And many of us do experience this. Um, Heidi and I have this, this thing that we say between us. This Sunday is going to be the best Sunday ever. And yeah, some of the worship team know this. This Sunday is going to be the best Sunday ever. Why? Because God is going to show up. Because God is going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. Because the young people are going to receive dreams and visions. And the old people are going to hear from the Lord. And we're all going to be lifted up together and built up into his body, unified in Christ, released into our gifts, impassioned, emboldened, filled with his spirit, and set a fire for his kingdom to come in this world. This Sunday is the best Sunday ever. Last Sunday was good. And last Sunday, it was the best Sunday ever. This Sunday is the best Sunday ever. It's the only Sunday we have today. It's the only day that we get to be in the presence of God is today. Because he is not the God of the past. He's not the God of the future. He is, I am, here and now. And he is here with us. Man, I am like, oh, rocking like the preaching thing this morning. I'm like way off my notes. We'll see if we ever even get through any of this stuff. All right, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. So God wants this sense of, of, of passion and excitement in the church. It is not a dead, dry place. And he has gifted us. That's what this whole passage is about. And so he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but in the Greek, it's really crazy. He's very repetitive. He says, and so he gave some apostles. Moreover, he gave some prophets. Moreover, he gave some evangelists. Moreover, he gave some shepherds. Moreover, he gave teachers. So that the church may be built up to maturity. How many of you know that giftedness is not the same thing as maturity? <laughs> giftedness is not the same thing as maturity. That's why he stays, states in this text that he gave the church, the apostles, evangelists, prophets, shepherds, I'm getting it all mixed up, evangelists, prophets, ev- duh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, He gave us those things so that we may be matured until we all all gain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, how many women are offended by that statement? You ought to be, okay? So the the Greek is really about adulthood. Um, and And in that culture and in that society, in that day and age, manhood, full manhood, meant, you know, authority, power, strength, um, you had the you had a voice in the community, and that's all packed into these Greek word this Greek word here in manhood. And what he's saying is adulthood. You and I, until we become adults in Jesus, that he gave us these gifts. So anyway, you've got he gave us these gifts so that we would be built up. The point is maturity. The point is maturity. God gave gifts. Say that's me. No, no, wait. I said, say, that's me. (laughs) So we're going to try that. Yeah, so God gave gifts. Right, you were the gift. You were the gift to the church to build the church to maturity. Since God gave the church gifts, that makes the church a gifted place, right? It's true, we are gifted. It's not just Heidi 
and her gifts. It's not just Jamie and his gifts. It's not just Janice and her gifts. It's not just Casey and her gifts. It's not just Emma Hall and Emma Pagel's thing one and thing two. It's not just Doug. It's not just, it's not just Ben. It's not just Simon. It's not it's just any one of the people that serve in these different places. It is all of us are gifted in Jesus to build the church to maturity. The body of Jesus is gifted, and the, you are the body of Christ. But the church If the church is gifted, then why does it say the purpose is to build the church up to maturity? It's because Paul realizes that giftedness is not the same thing as maturity. It's just not. When a baby is born, it's born with all of its vital organs that it needs to survive, right? It's got stomach, lungs, liver, uh, spleen. It's got an appendix, which nobody knows why it's there, but, you know, we got an appendix. It doesn't seem to do anything except for rupture later and causes problems. It's got all this stuff. It's got arms. It's got legs. But it's not ready to do a push-up yet. It's not ready to run. It has a brain, but that brain's not mature yet. It, it can't control the arms and legs. It can't process what it's seeing. When babies come out, like, the first thing they see is mom, and they hear that voice, and they recognize, okay, that's mom, because I've been hearing mom in the belly. But they can't process this as a human face. They can't process it. That's why they cry so much. They're always like, everything's scary. Everything's bad. All I understand is I'm hungry. They're not mature enough yet to communicate. Not mature enough yet to move. Not mature enough yet to grab things. Not mature enough yet to get up and go across the room to get the bottle of food that they want, right? But by the time they're three years old, what happens? Look out, we've got a tornado toddler of terror, right? We've got a picture of a tornado toddler of terror right here. This child has got all the vital organs and everything it needs, and it has figured out how to get what it wants and to make a mess in the process. See, don't mistake my cuteness for weakness. I will terrorize you, and I will turn this house upside down like a tiny tornado that I am, right? How many parents in here have experienced toddler tornado of terror? Yes. They make messes. They destroy things. But this is the law of life, right? It's the law of life. We, everything must mature. And that's true of you. Everything must mature even you. The first time I preached a sermon, it was a hot mess. It lasted all of five minutes. I preached the story of Noah, and I told kids that they needed to be a gimp. I don't even know, guys. I'm like, I'm like, this is it. This is the fire right here. I mean, the fire of God in this story of Noah being a gimp, and it lasted five minutes, and the kids were so confused. They're like, and I'm like, should I ever preach again? I don't know. It was just a mess. It was a mess. The first time I ever led a small group, it was just chaos. Nobody answered any questions. I just sat there asking questions, and they're looking at me, and they're just like, can we just talk about, you know, girls? And I'm like, no, we got to talk about Jesus. And it was just a chaos. It was an absolute mess. The first time I led worship, okay, the song I should have been singing, it's all about me, Jamie. It's not about you, Jesus. We should always do things my way. You alone are God, but we should always do things my way. It was all about me. It wasn't about the church worshiping. It wasn't about God's praise. It was a mess. I had to mature. I had to grow. So God gave us gifts. Say, that's me. But your giftedness does not necessarily equal maturity. Gifted people don't come out of the box ready to play. They have to grow and mature. 
In fact, not only are the gifts not mature out of the box, but the immaturity of those gifts can sometimes be, okay, let's just be honest, downright annoying. <laughs> I, got a, I got a whoop whoop on that one. Immature people are downright annoying. And that's because of this. Immature people can do immature things. Say, oh me. Oh me. Immature people can do immature things. You know what I'm talking about, right? These are the groups of women over 40. Yeah, I got an oh no. The over 40 group of women who get all exclusive in their wine party and they start looking at the other lady like, oh, can you believe what she wore this last week? Did you, did you see her dress? Oh my goodness. Oh, it's so, and they, and they, they intentionally snub you, right? They leave you out intentionally. And you're like, is this still middle school? Sorry, middle schoolers, they're not in the room, so I can say that. Is, is this still middle school? I'm like, these, and Heidi has this thing that she does. She's like, they don't even know what cool is, because I'm cool, right? They don't even know what cool is. That's like, that's so immature. You know, or the guys, they just don't play nice when you're, when, whenever you're not around, right? You get two or three of them together, and they start talking, well, did you see how Bob did that job the other day? He just couldn't even get that plaster flat. I don't know. I'm just like trying to make up stuff. And they like, they like critique you to your back. They talk about you behind your back. And when you're together, they like, oh, it's all nice. It's all good. It's immature. It's immature. Say it to my face, Right? Say it to my face, folks. If you're going to talk about me, say it to my face, but tell me nice things. Here's the truth, and it's best summed up in a meme of all things. Let's show that meme. Remember, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever, right? Yeah, I got a whoop whoop. You're only one, and, and you know, all of us who are out here, we're like, oh yes, I'm so mature. This is how we are to those immature people, right? Here's another meme for us. Here it comes. Any second, hit that meme. Go. Do it now. Devin, next meme. <laughs> next picture. What? It's not what? It's gone. It disappeared? Oh, man, it was a great one. It, it Describe it to you. It's a character from The Office, which you may or may not know because it's a may or may not be a good show to watch. Uh, Ah, and he says this, well, guess who's not allowed in my treehouse, right? It's true. It's fire. Gifts operate in the same way. When immature, they can be annoying at best and downright destructive at worst. Let me be clear about this. You are gifted. Say, that's me. And you will operate in your gift, whether you are ready or not whether you are mature or not, whether you are planning to or not, your gift will come out of you and it could be annoying, it could be destructive, or it could build up God's kingdom. Mature or not, you're going to operate in your gift. And that means unless you are submitted, discipled, disciplined, and practiced, your greatest gift, like monk, if you know who that is, will become your greatest weakness. Your gift can become a curse. It's a gift and a curse. So let me show you what I mean. We're going to look at this list in verses 11 through 12. It starts with the word apostles. Now, apostles are an amazing gift to the church. They're the innovators who can take the message of Jesus to new places. And inside the church, and that's like outside the church, inside the church, they make the church more effective. 
They make it a more exciting place to be. They help make the systems function, and they help us connect, and they help us do things better. These are the people that have 13 new ideas before breakfast. You guys know those people? 13 new ideas before breakfast. And they are absolutely the greatest gift to the church. And they are absolutely necessary for the church to expand and grow. Unless the apostle's character does not measure up to their gift. Unless, if you're an apostle, if your character does not measure up to your gift, it can be destructive. An immature apostle has a really hard time telling the difference between a good idea and a God idea. A good idea and a God idea. They are really, really good at starting things. In fact, they have so many ideas that their hardest decision that they make in any given day is which idea to work on, right? Which idea to try out. But they start things, and in their maturity, they have a hard time following through because they have a new idea that they want to start working on, and they don't finish the last one. When they get a new idea, you've got to look out for these people because they are on to the next thing. They have moved on. The old is gone and the new has come. That's, that's like when we're going to biblicize this thing. They're like, hey guys, my old idea is gone. The new idea has come and we are going to work on this together. Here we go. Whatever has caught their attention is the thing that they are working on. And an immature apostle can cause the church to be fractured and dysfunctional because he's constantly changing ideas. Oh me. But when they are submitted to a body, when they are submitted to the body of Christ, when they take the time to be discipled, to be disciplined, and to be practiced, when they learn to do only what they see the Father doing, the difference between a good idea and a God idea, and when they see it through, say that with me, see it through, right? We all got that in our life. We all need that encouragement sometimes, right? See it through. You're on, you're on something. You're on a path of Jesus. You're, God's showing you your gift, and you need to see it through. And have it. that's why I submitted is number one. We're going to talk about that at the end. I got to get through the rest of it, though. Um, when they see it through, when they do only what the Father's doing, and they see it through, then they become the gift to the church that God intended them to be. And if you're an apostle and you find yourself with 13 new ideas before breakfast and you say, look, this church just is not functioning how God intended it to function, we need you, but we need you submitted, discipled, disciplined, and practiced, engaged in the body of the church, not running from place to place to try to find a new place that will accept your gifts. You need to mature so that you become a gift. Prophets. Now these people I get, okay? These are my homies. This is... Me and the prophets, these are my peoples. In the, in the 90s, we said they were my peeps. Now they're, I don't even know what is cool anymore. If any high schooler has got like homies, I think that was 80s. Peeps is 90s. It's fam. All right, these is my fam. Thank you, David, for, for that. And I will, all right. So prophets, they sense the heart of God. Now we're not just talking about prophets who hear and get messages like we received this morning. Now, that is a prophetic gift. It's a prophetic word. But we are talking about a people group that are, are so sensitive to what God is saying. They, they hear his voice, and they see how it isn't matching up to that in the world, and they speak out. Now, these are, you know, I say they speak out, but they might sing out. They might paint out. They might poem out. 
They might do it any sort of way, but they are saying, look, this is the way the world should be. God is saying it this way, and they function in all places in society. They might be hearing what God's heart is about, uh, about social justice, about black lives matter or white lives matter, or we're concerned about the immigrants or concerned about, uh, the word is escaping me, or the people that don't have a home that, well, that's not who I was talking about, but them too. Refugees, that's the word I was trying to find. It's just gone. It was like out there in the mist someplace. You know, <clears throat> it might be the environment, okay? All of these things, they might not be a Christian at all, but they go, look, this is wrong and we got to fix this. And God's out there speaking to people, whether they believe in him or not. And he's going, that's wrong. we got to fix this. And so they're, they're impassioned. These are the prophets. These are the prophets. These are my people, my fam. But here's the thing. When this gift is immature... And again, these are my fam, so I'm reading my own mail right now. When a prophet is immature, they are critical. They are prone to complaining. They have a hard time loving people right where they're at, accepting them in their mess, because knowing that God loves them, they, they just can't, they can't come and they say, all they see is the mess. They don't see the person behind the mess. They often live in their heads because people are so messy. It's cleaner and neater in their head. And they say, well, look in my head. God has made these things right. Or they'll tend to isolate themselves, the people who just think like them. This happens all across Christianity, right? This is how we, this is how we connect in churches. One of the things that we don't have on our website intentionally is our statement of, of faith. Now, we believe in Jesus. I put the Foursquare website out there if you want to go that far and search it. But we often make, do these people believe exactly like I do, the primary standard for choosing a community of faith? We isolate ourselves to people who think like us, and therefore we're never challenged. We're never, we're never pushed to think outside the box. We're never pushed into relationships with people who don't think like us so that we have to figure out how to get along and love one another. You're a Democrat? How can you be a Democrat? You're a Republican? How can you be a— I'm going to do puppets here in a second. And, you know— we can't get along, prophets, with people who don't think like us if we can't see them as people. We only see them as their issue or as their thought process or what they think and what they like. Because of our propensity as prophets to tell people how things should be, often with very little empathy, we prophets can be super duper annoying. Oh my goodness, can we be so annoying. But when a prophet is submitted discipled, disciplined, and practice. When they learn to spend time alone hearing the voice of God, when they learn to catch God's heart for people, not for issues, not for messes or problems or systems, when they get his heart for people, you have to look out because they're going to start speaking what Jesus speaks. And when Jesus speaks, there is freedom. When Jesus speaks, there is healing. When Jesus speaks, there is hope. Amen? That was kind of like, hmm. Have you guys heard the voice of Jesus before? Did you ever experience Jesus' freedom before? When Jesus spoke, did you receive healing? When Jesus speaks, there is freedom. Amen? Amen. That's a little more like it. I mean, it's like, you got to look out for prophets because they're going to get like that on you, and it's going to get spicy right? It's going to get, it's going to, the kingdom of God is at hand. And let me tell you, Jesus is the only person in history that's ever operated in all these gifts. He's the only person in history that's ever operated in all of these gifts. And think about how Jesus spoke. He was a prophet. 
a mature one. Evangelist is the next on the list. These guys and gals are the outgoing, friendly, charismatic people who can't help but talk about the thing that they currently, that currently has their attention. It might be a baseball team. Anybody ever met my son? Right? Might be a baseball team. It might be a ball, okay? It might just be any ball, any shape. It might be, it might be a political party. It might be a, uh, even a social need of some sort. Refugees, there's the word again. It could be Jesus. When Jesus has the attention of an evangelist, we're talking about fire again. We're talking about God's kingdom coming here and now. Because these people are going to share Jesus and people are going to be excited about it. It's infectious and they're going to want more of it. I stumbled over an, an evangelist recently, tripped right over her. We were getting ready to do our Seeds of Hope campaign, putting out all our signs and stuff. And I'm looking at my schedule and looking at my life and all the things I got to do. And I'm like, there's no way I can get all these signs out. So I think about the church. I'm like, okay, who could I ask to do this? Kathy Striva. Get, I asked her, I'm like, Kathy, would you like to put these signs up? She's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. So she goes, I go, how many, how many posters do you want? Well, how many can you make? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll make like 20. She's like, okay, I'll take them. And she takes them. And she goes out. She comes back the next day. She says, can I have 20 more? Can I, can I have more? And then she comes back a few weeks later. Can I have some more signs? Do we have any more signs I can get? Out? Everybody she talked to wanted one of those signs because Kathy is an evangelist. What she is passionate about, other people want to be a part of. What she is excited about, other people want to join in. I wish I was one of these people. Drives me nuts. Heidi and I sit down, we were like planning this thing, we got this event, and I'm like, this is going to be so exciting. And I tell people, they're like, eh, I might be there. <laughs> and Heidi goes and talks to the same person. They're like, are you kidding me? Can I come early? You know, what do I need to do? And I'm like, oh, evangelists. I'm just going to bring this whole prophet voice and say, why did you not listen to the voice of God? You listen to the evangelist. What's that all about? I don't understand. Anyway, again, if the evangelist gift, though, is left unexercised, undisciplined, unsubmitted, undiscipled, evangelists can be very shallow people. Sorry, evangelists. It's true, though. You can have hundreds of relationships because you're good at doing surface, but you're not good at doing deep. And you have to work at doing deep. You have to, and then what happens too is it's not just relationships because we have a, our relationship to God is a relationship, right? And it can be just like our relationships with people. It can be a mile wide and an inch deep. We don't go very deep with God. We aren't transformed and shaped and renewed by his, his voice and his work in us. An immature evangelist can wind up devaluing what happens here in the church. Because it's just not as important as sharing Jesus out in the world. That's the work that the church should be doing. That's the most important thing. And they could say, small groups, big deal. Sunday morning, no big deal. Worship, no big deal. I'm not going to be there every week. I'm going to be out sharing Jesus on Thursdays. And it's exciting and it's passionate, but they devalue everything else to the detriment of the whole church because we need evangelists here as well as out there. A mature evangelist who is submitted who is discipled, who is disciplined in practice, doesn't just share their faith. They're attractional people who become a hub of relationship and life, both in the church and outside of the church. They're the people that are attracted, are attractional to other people. And suddenly, you know, you put one in this section of seats over here. If I was to set an evangelist down here, you know what would happen? Eventually, you, so the seats would start filling up right over here. And if I've got another one and put them back over there, those seats will start filling up too. And if we had evangelists all operating in their gifts all across this church, sharing, their, sharing Jesus on the outside and on the inside, inviting people into relationships, 
this church is going to come alive. We need you evangelists. Don't stay immature. Grow in Jesus. Be submitted. Be discipled. Be disciplined. Be practiced. Shepherds. The text here uses the word shepherds. But people often translate this as pastors. And the real problem with that is is pastors today tend to operate in any one of these gifts. I am a pastor. That is my title. But my gift is largely in the prophetic with a teaching voice. Okay, I teach and preach out of that prophetic gift. I lead worship out of that prophetic gift. I operate primarily as a prophet. Heidi is a pastor. She operates primarily as an evangelist with a teaching gift, with an apostle gift, with a shepherd gift. But <laughs> this is my wife, okay? Like, she's kind of amazing. Like, maybe there's a second person operating in all these gifts. I don't know. But the, troubles, the trouble is we associate pastor just with people who are on stage. But there are pastors in this room who are not in ministry at all, who are just attending church. There are people that are in your workplaces who are pastors who don't even go to church anywhere. They don't realize that they're pastors. See, they're shepherds, and they're people who bring the sheep together. They're people who guard the sheep. They're people who watch over the sheep. They're people who are worried that the sheep are comfortable, the sheep are fed, the sheep are cared for, the sheep's wool is brushed, the sheep aren't standing in their own poop. That's really hard to do, I hear. <laughs> yes. Shepherds, when they are operating fully in their gift, are soul healers. They are guiding people toward health and wholeness and healing. They are, they are standing there in the midst of the mess with people. They're saying, you're standing in your poop right now and I'm standing in it with you because they care so deeply for people who are broken and people who are lost and people who are caught up in their own sin. But when a pastor is immature, when a pastor is immature, because they're so concerned about keeping the sheep together and keeping everybody comfortable, they have a hard time calling people to life change. They have a hard time encouraging people to grow out of their brokenness. They have a hard time lifting people up from where they're at and encouraging them to move on. An immature pastor can end up in a church like this, collecting a small church of very broken people and allowing them to complain and allowing them to not be a part of the life of the church and just gather on the outskirts and just stay there and we'll have a party where we're upset but never changing or growing. But a mature shepherd, oh my goodness, what a gift. What a gift. When a shepherd is submitted discipled, disciplined in practice and learns to hold the flock together while challenging them to grow, while encouraging them in their gifts and in their relationship with Jesus. As they say in China, all the ships float, right? The whole church is going to come up because the whole church being cared for, being encouraged and grown, that's just going to lift everything up. They hold a community together. They comfort those in needs and they care for the sheep. We need shepherds. And there are shepherds in this room right now. Lastly, now there's a whole group of people that haven't been talked about yet, and the rest of you are like, oh my gosh, here comes my turn. Teachers. There's a lot of teachers in this town. Oh my goodness, we got a university town. Everybody's like, I'm a teacher. Everybody's, I'm a teacher. Teachers are drawn to the scriptures. They like to take its teachings and make it understandable to others and to the next generation. Honestly, even a mature teacher can be really annoying to people like apostles and prophets because they're constantly asking the question, how are we going to make this happen? 
I mean, how practically are we going to take this vision that you've got, this great idea you got, and bring it down so that people can understand it and make it happen? Those apostles and prophets were like, just shut up. Just go away. I'm busy enjoying my idea. Leave me alone, right? We need you to make this practical. We need, because it won't work otherwise. We have to work together. So mature teachers can be really annoying to apostles and prophets. But somebody with an immature teaching gift can be blunt and offensive. They can be know-it-alls who get a sense of value from knowing things, but they don't often get transformed by their knowledge. What the Bible says about knowledge is that knowledge can puff up, right? And if we all just lived in knowledge, we'd just puff up like cheese puffs. And well, we don't need a church of cheese puffs. It's just, you put a little bit of water on a cheese puff, what happens? It dissolves into nothing. We don't need a church full of puffed up cheese puffs. We need people who are deep, who are discipled, who are committed, submitted, grown, disciplined. Sometimes immature teachers are not able to differentiate, again, their idea about God and God himself. Because they love sitting into the ideas about who God is. They love, they love talking about, you know, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and all of these teachings and these ideas. And they can't differentiate the idea that they have about God, their image of God, their understanding of God, their, their pet theology. They can't differentiate that from God himself. <clears throat> and when that happens, knowledge becomes God. Like prophets... Immature teachers can isolate themselves with people who only think like them. But when a teacher is submitted, discipled, disciplined, and practiced, they're a gift because they have figured out through discipline and discipleship how to actually equip the body. They're the ones that are helping the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists take new people who are coming to faith. And how can we help this person grow up in their gifts? How can we release this person into their gift? How can we get them connected into the body? How can we get them fired up like a Tasmanian devil and running around the church? That's what we need teachers for. We need teachers who are living out the truth rather than just talking about it. So teachers, we need you. So, you are gifted. Say that with me. You are gifted. Oh, you were supposed to say, that's me. I blew it. And I messed you all up. Say, that's me. You are gifted. There you go. But are you maturing in your gift? We've been saying this all along. You matter. You are important. You are a gift. You are gifted. But again, and again, you will operate out of that gift, whether you're mature or not. Every one of these gifts has the potential to tear a church apart or to build it up to grow it up toward Jesus or to take it apart piece by piece. And maybe with your gift, it may take it apart piece by piece by taking you out of it. Whether it's a critical attitude or a, an inability to hold still long enough to be a part of a body or, 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 or a sense that your knowledge is so important. I mean, I could go through each one of them, but I'm not going to. No matter what your gift is, you are gifted. Say, that's me. So stir up the gift that's in you. Stir it up. We need you. We need your gift. This place needs your gift. This city needs your gift. This world needed the gifts of God so much that God gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he came and he operated in those gifts so that the world would understand who and what God is and how much God's 
never-ending, everlasting, reckless love was for them and not against them. You are a gift. Say, that's me. So stir up the gift. Look to be a gift. You ever thought about that? Like, not just what is my gift, but how can I be a gift? I mean, not how can I be a body that fills a role. Not how can I just, you know, help out a little bit, but set up a table or something like that. How can I be a gift to this body? Look at the person next to you and think for a moment, how can you be a gift to them? How could you be a gift to the person across the room from you? Using what God has already placed in you, how you were designed from the get-go. Stir up the gift. Look to be a gift and not a curse by being submitted, disciplined, discipled, and practiced. Let me tell you how to remain immature, okay? This is how we're going to end. I'm going to talk about those four things that I keep saying over and over again. Uh, But I'm going to do it this way. I want to tell you how to remain immature. If you are set, dead set, on remaining immature in your gift and being a curse for other people, it's very easy to do. First of all, don't be submitted to anything or anyone. You're like, got it, right? I'm a rebel without a cause. I don't need you. Down with the man. I'm not going to be a part of any of your stuff. That's all you got to do. Don't, don't get in relationship with anybody who's a leader. Don't get into relationship with anybody who is authority. Like a child without parents or boundaries, a sure ticket to remaining immature is to make sure that you don't have anyone in your life to help you grow up. So isolate yourself and be alone. People are doing this all the time. They go to a church right up until the pastor says something that irritates them. And then they hop to the next church. Right up until the pastor says something that irritates them. And then they hop to the next church. Right up until somebody in the church does something that irritates them. And then they go to another church. This is what it looks like to not be submitted to a body. I'm not saying you have to listen to my authority. I'm saying you have to listen to our authority. To listen to our family. Be a part of us. Be submitted to a place. Stick it out even when it's hard. Let those rough spots, those edges that are so sharp, that's what Proverbs says, like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And what happens is we got a sharp sword and a sharp sword, chink, and this sword says, I'm out of here. And this sword says, I'm not, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting any smoother. I'm not getting any better. So basically what you do is you leave the whole church immature by removing yourself from, from relationship. Being submitted is about being committed to a place and being open to the input of trusted leaders and pastors and growing in response. Jesus' call to follow me was a call to go, to do, and to be what Jesus teaches. It was a call to submission. Discipled. To stay immature, all you got to do is say, I'm not going to learn anymore. From this point forward, I've learned everything I need to learn about myself, about the world, about God, and I'm done. That's all you got to do to stay immature. Discipleship is learning and practicing around your faith. That can be as simple as reading your Bible with other believers. It can be as fun as taking an EHS or EHR class. EHR, EHS people, give me a whoop whoop. We are growing in our faith. We have one student, we're going to share this story um, tomorrow night, but who talked to me this week. He's been here for, for three months and he has taken this EHR class and he said to me the other day, he goes, I have grown more in this last three months than I ever thought imaginable. I ever thought possible. My faith is growing and it's incredible what happens when you submit yourself to discipleship. <clears throat> but if you want to stay immature, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't come to class. I wouldn't read the Bible. I wouldn't do any of those things. But if you do, 
if you want to grow and you don't know where to start, just start by talking to me or to Heidi or to Janice. We're going to help you out. That's why we're here. We're here to equip you to grow in your faith. We're here to disciple you and to teach you your next steps. Talk to us. Be discipled. Get into a relationship that's teaching you about the disciplines of life with God that help us grow in our faith, which is the next thing, disciplined. Staying immature, actually, is going to require discipline, right? You're going to have to discipline yourself to be isolated. You're going to have to discipline yourself not to learn. Have you ever tried not to learn something? Somebody kicks you in the shin, you just learn something, right? That person's mean. Well, try to not learn that and just let them keep kicking you. You have to be disciplined to be immature, but you also have to be disciplined to become mature. Discipleship teaches us discipline. It's practices that help us grow in our relationship with God, to love him well and to love others well. But the goal of discipleship is not just to teach you about God, but to expose you to disciplines, to practices that help you transform in your relationship with God and allow you to be self-disciplined. Self-discipline is where we struggle, right? We can put ourselves under the authority of somebody else. Okay, I'm going to go to a a physical trainer uh, because my shoulder's bad, and I'm going to help them. You know, they're going to get my shoulder back into shape. But once that shoulder's back into shape, you've got to maintain that, right? Self-discipline. You've got to use self-discipline to continue to grow, to mature, to be able to move, to be able to be who you were meant to be and who you want to be and how you want to live. So you're going to have to figure out how to self-discipline yourself if you want to grow in your faith. And that's best done in a relationship with other people by getting accountable to somebody, by saying, this is what I'm trying to do. Just saying it is all you got to do. I am trying to do this. And somebody goes, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing that. Is that. How's that working out for you? I'm going to encourage you. This is awesome. That's what accountability is. It's not like, did you fail this week? Practiced. If you want to stay immature, which is impossible, just don't use your gift. No, wait, don't using your, not using your gift is impossible because you're going to use it. To mature a gift, though, you need to practice using it. That means even in the midst of your immaturity, you are intentionally practicing your gift. You are finding a place to put it to work, to figure out how to make it grow, how to make it come alive, how to make it serve the church, how to make it a blessing and not a curse. This can happen anywhere. You can be a prophet and you can serve in the coffee bar because you're going to be back there and you're going to show you how to do all the things and you're going to stand back one day and you're going to look and go, why are we doing it this way? Let's try this. And the leader is going to go, oh, we got a prophet here. And yes, that is a better way of doing this, right? You can be an evangelist and care for babies. You know what happened if we get an evangelist in the nursery? We're going to have all the peoples wanting to hold the babies and pray for them. We're going to have all the people wanting to just cuddle one of those little creatures because they're so wonderful and so great. Well, you could be an evangelist and grow in that gift and be in the nursery. You can do this anywhere. The bottom line is find a place to serve regularly to use your gift. If you want to stay as you are, simply do nothing. Easy peasy. The reality is, is that almost, it's almost as much work to not use your gift as it is to use your gift. So I'm encouraging you this morning, stir up your gift. Use it with intentionality. Let me be super here clear, clear here. We need you. This church needs you. Jesus needs you. The body of Christ needs you as much as we need the stomach or the spleen or a leg. None of us would be happy to lose an appendage or an organ. We need these organs to come alive. And here's the thing. The more that you invest time and energy in using your gifts— 
the more energized and fulfilled you will be. You guys remember those batteries from the 1980s or 90s? They're like the AA batteries. And if you squeeze the bottom and the, the side until your knuckles and fingers turned white and it hurt, like, and it was like a half hour. You held them for a half hour and you squeeze them and then that little line would go up. Does anybody remember these ones? It would show you how full the battery was. Sometimes I wish that people had that. And sometimes I wish it was, you know, culturally appropriate to touch people in those places. You know, like, you just, you know, grab Sarah's foot and her forehead and squeeze until she had a bruise and my fingers were hurt. But then I would see the line go up Sarah's body and I would see how excited and passionate and alive and full of energy Sarah was. Most of you are going, no, that sounds really awkward and uncomfortable. (laughs) It's probably good God didn't design us that way. When we begin to discover and operate and mature in our gifts, it's like being put into a battery charger. I imagine if we were to go across this room right now, and I was just, and I was able to do that. I was able to squeeze your forehead and your foot, and we could see how much juice was in the battery of your life. Many of us would be running really low. Be running, we'd be running near empty. It's the end of the semester, Jamie. It's the, uh, you know how many tests I got this week? Do you know, do you, have, you know, there's professors out there. Do you know how many tests I got to write this week? And how many students I got to torture with this stuff? And all the things I got to grade. Do you know how many projects I got to finish? Do you know how many apartments I've got to clean coming up here real quick? Jamie Haas is sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get all the boogers off the walls. It's going to be horrible. And we're feeling under pressure and we're feeling tired. If I could press the battery buttons and see how charged up you are. Maybe, maybe you've gone up a little tick in this sermon. I hope so. Maybe you've got a little bit of life. But when you engage your gift in the church, you are going to be so in charge, so charged up, so full of life that you can't contain yourself. It's counterintuitive. You think, look at my battery. I've only got one dot left at the bottom. How can I possibly put any energy into church? How could I possibly serve someplace. I've only got this much to give. My life outside of this place takes up every bit that I have, and I'm running low. I guarantee you, if you discover, if you use your gift, if you discipline it, if you disciple it, you get submitted, you get into relationship with people and with God, and you start seeing that gift come alive, you're going to look like Heidi on the day after Easter in the office, the Tasmanian devil storming through the building saying, let's do all the things, and you will come alive. When you step into your calling and you use your gift, God meets you there. And God wants to meet you there. It's why he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to grow us all up until we achieve the maturity in Jesus Christ, till we look just like him. He wants to meet you there, to renew your strength, so you mount up with wings like eagles and soar, so you can run and not be weary so you can walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord will renew his strength. Wait on him. This morning what I want to do is I want to gather in groups of two or three or four, and I want you to share with your neighbors which of those four things are the most difficult for you. Which of those four things do you need to do now? Being submitted, being disciplined, being discipled, and being practiced. Submitted, you need to get connected to the body of Christ. You need to integrate yourself and be a part of it. Discipled, you need to get growing with others. Disciplined, you need to get moving and you need to get accountable. Practice, you need to find a place to serve. Would you just get in groups of three or four and do that right now?
And then we're going to, and then once you've shared, just share it real briefly and then pray for one another. And I'm going to give you guys just about three or four minutes to do that. So about a minute a person, groups of three, and then we're going to close with a song. Go. You're like, whoa. Whoa.